Welcome to Reflections from the Heart, presented by Stewardship, a mission of faith. Reflections from the Heart with your host, David Abel, is an outreach of gospel reflection, a ministry of stewardship, a mission of faith. For the next 30 minutes, please join David as he breaks open the bread of life in the gospel reading for Sunday's Mass. And as the same Holy Spirit who inspired the biblical writers, inspires us today with the truths he reveals to our hearts through his word. Now, here's David with Reflections from the Heart. Hello and welcome to Reflections from the Heart. My name is Rob Longo with Stewardship and Mission of Faith, and I'm joined by uh, my three amigos here, Don Gleichman, Tom Terrace, and Tom DeAngelis. How are you guys doing? Good, hey, good Rob. Morning. Great. All right. For, for our regular listeners, uh, David Abel is not with us. So, David, we miss you, and we'll look forward to, to being with you next week. Uh, so, for those of you who are our are regular friends listening, you know the, you know the drill. Uh, for those of you who are new, this is a gospel reflection. And you might be saying, what the heck is a gospel reflection? Well, it is uh, a gathering of, of people, and we o- open up the gospel for the coming Sunday, and we read it. We uh, ask God, you know, what does he want to tell us in this gospel? And we just share with each other. So for those of you who are able to, to uh, read along, it's this week's gospel is from Matthew, Matthew 17, 1 to 9. And uh, it's just so beautiful to be able to, to read and reflect on the gospel ahead of hearing it at Mass on Sunday. And this is something that we do uh, in, in a lot of places, in this diocese and others. And if you're interested in joining one, just get in touch with us at Stewardship and Mission of Faith. We'll try to plug you in to a, a group that's established, or if you want to start one, contact us as well. We'll provide you with the prayer books and the material and the facilitator's guide and, and help you get going as well with that. Without further ado, let's open up with a prayer. Don, if you can lead us. Surely, Rob. Dear Lord, precious Lord, gracious and merciful Lord, come to us this day as you promised you would when we gather together in your name and help us to pray. The first part of prayer we know is when we, when we talk to you. When we tell you what is on our hearts and on our minds and in our souls, we have an abiding hunger to get closer to you, to have the peace that only you can give us, especially as we look around us in this world today that's so fast, so pressure-packed, and so secular in its, its bent. Lead us closer to you so that we can have the peace, the same peace that Christ had on the cross when he prayed for us from his position of power and of of suffering. But Lord, also the second part of prayer is when you speak to us. We just sit back and listen to your words. So the second part is going to be our reflection on your words to us through the gospel of this coming Sunday. Prepare our hearts and our souls and our minds for the presentation of this gospel to us this Sunday so that when it comes, it reveals more to us than we hear initially and is deeper and gives us that peace. These things we ask through the intercession of Mary, our mother, and through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. 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 Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Don. All right, Tom, Tyrus, if you could share the gospel with us. Sure. This is a gospel from Matthew 17, verses 1 through 9. Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, 
conversing with him. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud cast a shadow over them. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell prostrate and were very much afraid. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and do not be afraid. And when the disciples raised their eyes, they saw no one else but Jesus alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, Do not tell the vision to anyone until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord, you, Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. Thanks, Tom. And uh, you know, as always, we just let the Holy Spirit stir within us, and uh, you know, anything that, uh, that, that comes to mind we'll, we'll share with each other. So did anything jump at it? Anybody? One of the first things that occurred to me, and I hadn't really thought of this before, this just this reading was, um, you know, that the the, the uh, line where it says, "While he was still speaking," you know, while Peter was st- still speaking, you know, saying, "Lord, should we set up these booths for you, these tents?" A bright cloud cast a shadow over them, and then the voice came saying, "This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him." It's almost like, you know, God the Father was interrupting Peter here. Like, listen, listen, listen. There's something bigger going on here than just you needing to put some tents up here. You know, it's like because he he interrupts him, which I think is you know is kind of a strange thing to remember. But I, I was thinking about it. You know, if you're sitting around the table, uh, you know, uh, with the apostles sharing or the campfire or whatever, and telling a story, I'm, I half think that people would have picked up on that. You know, like knowing the stories that you know about Peter and his, you know, his readiness to rush in and do stuff. Here he is trying to, you know, set everything up and, you know, they're on their way to the, to celebrate the Feast of Booths at Jerusalem. So he has tents on his mind, you know, saying, Lord, should I do this? Should I do this? And, and God interrupts him and says, listen, just listen to what he has to say. Don't, don't worry about that. So maybe one of those questions uh, when we, when we meet St. Peter in heaven, what, what were you going to say next? <laughs> you're, yeah, you're just true. talking about the tents, and then you're about to say something. And, you know, yeah, God, God interrupted, God interrupted you. you. Yeah. What were you going to say? What were you going to say? And Don, in, in your prayer, you, uh, you, you mentioned in, in your prayer that we live in a world that is so secular. Mm-hmm. And I don't, even, I don't know if you realize it, because you know, you're, you're moved by the Holy Spirit when you're praying, but just that struck me and uh, reminded me of a story that that I just uh, that I just heard. It's an amazing story, guys. So uh, so just check this out because it's it really goes to the so secular part of your prayer, Don. Uh, it's about a guy that was living in a province in China where it was illegal to be Catholic, and this man had such a love for the Eucharist, such a love for the Eucharist. And whenever the priest would come around, they would have mass in his home. And they would have the mass, but they would have people outside as lookouts, making sure that there aren't any officials coming. So one time they were having mass and mass was over. And before everybody cleared out, the officials were coming. So the lookout guys ran into the house, told everybody they all cleared, except for the man who owned the house. And he stayed, right? And this is the man who was just madly in love with Jesus in the Eucharist. They arrested him, threw him in jail, and started to beat him and torture him every day 
to the point where they got this jury-rigged cattle prod and were you know, shocking him with just massive volts. And the one thing they were trying to get him to give up was the priest. Tell us where the priest is. Where's the priest? Mm. Where's the priest? And this guy had such a love for the Eucharist. He knew no priest, no Eucharist. And he didn't want to give up the priest because then he would be you know, withholding that gift of the Eucharist from his family and his friends. So he withstood the torture every day for four weeks. And after that period of time, they realized they couldn't break the man, so they let him go. So he goes back to his family. Short time after that, they moved to the United States. And this man, going from a country where it was illegal to be Catholic, whenever a priest came in town, they would have Mass, and he just treasured those moments to receive the Eucharist. He's in a country now where there's daily Mass. He can go every day. He can go at morning. He can go <laughs> midday. He can go at night. I mean, he was just loving life, going to Mass every day. But then he realized that in America— the more you work, the more money you make. The more money you make, the more things you can buy for your family, the more <laughs> vacations you can go on. So the guy started working and he went, you know, every few, you know, few times a week. And then he started working even more. He got busier and making more money, buying more stuff. Then he went on Sundays only. Then he got so busy that he would miss the occasional Sunday. Continued to get more busy and, and, and just immersed into our culture where he stopped going on Sundays and would just go on Christmas and Easter. So here is a guy who went from a, a country where it was illegal to be Catholic, willing to, to take four weeks worth of torture out of love for the Eucharist, not to give up the priest, to coming into our culture, to the United States, where the culture didn't try, but just the culture just totally just drove him away, right? Yeah. Separated. So we are in, as Don prayed, uh, our friends out there, uh, we are in this this culture, this secular culture, that if we go with the flow, right, we're going to end up where the flow goes, right, to the stagnant part of the stream, right, where there's no movement, all the muck and mire and junk. We can't go. We got to be like those salmon that are swimming upstream, right, swimming against the current, fighting and trying and and being so intentional about our faith, because you know all of us gather around the table, we work full time in a Catholic ministry, right? It doesn't we're not safe. We're not, you know, it doesn't yeah. mean, like, you, you know, I tell this to the kids in the schools that we go to, you're in a Catholic school. That doesn't mean that you're safe because unless you intentionally, unless I intentionally, unless we all intentionally decide to give our lives to Jesus and then live like Jesus, right? Live like him, live for him, everything intentionally break out, carve out time for prayer, intentionally invite him in to the center of all of our activities where we might end up going with the flow and, and just... Little by little, like this man, just just float away. It's much easier to resist obvious evil than it is that, that which is not obvious, that is hidden, that is sort of clandestine, like the societal influences upon our life. I like to hear CDs when I'm driving long distances, and I do a lot of that. Last weekend, Lucia and I went down to Washington, D.C. for a special ceremony, uh, an anniversary of a friend's death. We met with the entire family and had a wonderful time down there on the way back. The terrible rains of last weekend, if you recall those, they were mm. kind of torrential at times. They ended. And in the evening when we were coming back, there was this most amazing sky. The sun was bright and there were lots of clouds out there. And some of the clouds were heavily laden with rain and, and some were not. Some were the white kind. But on our left-hand side, Lucia wanted me to stop so she could get a picture. And, and 
she wanted to get a picture because there was this bright sun that was shining through the clouds. And the clouds were bright. As it here is in, 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 the, in the text, a bright cloud cast a shadow over them. It was a bright cloud because the sun was behind it, but it was still a cloud. It mm-hmm. still prevented the piercing rays of the sun from getting to us. Mm-hmm. And I think about the, the, the disciples later on, they raised their eyes because you have to avert your eyes from direct contact with the sun. And yet at the same time, we crave that. The CD that we were listening to that day was one by Jason Everett. And I don't recall the name of it, but it was a reflection on John Paul II's Theology of the Body and about how the Eucharist really is the consummation of our Catholic experience with God on earth, the same way as marital bliss is the consummation of a marriage. And I will admit that there have been a few times when I've been as impressed emotionally and spiritually by the presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist when I receive it, as I was when I saw that beautiful sun shining through those clouds that day. That, it made my heart sing when I looked at the sun. But when your heart sings in the Lord, which is something we all are beginning through the Eucharist, which is something that only we have, that's a time when we can really commune with God, be one with him. And, and do we keep our eyes down because we can't look directly at him? In the case of the Eucharist, we can't. He has made it in such a way that we can look directly at him. Isn't that amazing? That's beautiful. It is beautiful. And then the prayer for all of us should be, Lord, please instill in us the wonder and awe of a child as it relates to the Eucharist. That, that that just, that giddy wonder and awe. Like, this is absolutely amazing. That How can we ever just, you know, yawn through another Mass again? Uh, you know, just, just... That's a gift of the Holy Spirit, so yeah. let's, let's, let's pray for it. Yeah, and this uh, reading, what jumped out at me was um, from the cloud came a voice. And I picture the cloud as being whatever we're struggling with in our life, you know, like whatever's giving us trouble that's, uh, you know, clouding our thought, our judgment. Uh, could be some kind of a problem or an addiction, whatever that we're struggling with. We all have it. We all have these crosses that we carry. And so from that cloud came a voice. And so I think, you know, God is clearly saying when you're in this cloud in your life, a problem, an addiction, whatever, you know, here's my son, listen to him. And so to me, it speaks, you know, to when I'm struggling with something and um, having a problem and I don't see any way out, any light, then he's directing me where to go to get that clarity, you know, to to get help, you know, from mm-hmm. from Jesus who who is, uh, you know, there with me and he's there with the disciples as we read in this passage. And one of our friends uh, and partners in ministry, Marty, Marty Rotella, uh, I've heard him say to, to, to so many people in different presentations that he would give, he would put his hand on the back of his head. And Tom, this goes to the clarity piece. He would put his hand on the back of his head and he talks about, like, you know, the things that you're struggling with and different problems that like we just kind of stuff them in the back. And, you know, can you see the back? You know, no matter how fast you twist, you can't see the back of your head, right? And you stuff them in. But when you speak them out, and when you speak out and bring them to the light, then there's clarity. And especially mm-hmm. when you do that with a trusted advisor, spiritual director, trusted friend, where you take them from the back where they're just kind of just like mauling and just ruminating, then you speak them out, then they're in front of you, they're in the light. Yeah. Right? And then you have someone that you trust that can help 
bring that clarity to what we're struggling with and what we're kind of going over and over and over and over again in, in the back of our heads, but it's out in the light. It's with a trusted friend who, who loves the Lord and, uh, and can, can bring clarity to it. So thank you. Tom, yeah. And I was just, it's weird that you said that because I was listening to a podcast on the way down there and it was about deep thinking. And when you have a problem, even if you have a pad of paper and you just write out for a half hour, just think as deeply as you can about whatever problem it is, you know, those people who do that tend to, you know, work out their problem more so than those who just don't mm-hmm. do anything, don't talk to anyone, don't, you know, just keep it in their head. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and I think if you could couple that with, you know, having a Bible nearby and you write out what your problem is and what solutions you might see, you know, can bring that peace, you know, and clarity like you spoke of. As you mentioned that, Rob, I was also, I was watching you too, because you weren't just saying it, you had your hand on the back of your neck. And I was recalling that as a very young boy, when I really felt sick at my stomach as if I was going to vomit, excuse me for changing the conversation (laughs) that way, my mother would take me in the bathroom and she put one hand on the front of my forehead and the other one on the back of my neck. And then all of the evil would come out Mm -hmm. through my mouth. Mm -hmm. And I'd feel Mm -hmm. better. Because her hand had been there to get that evil out of me. And it's amazing how that sort of, it was like putting your hand in warm water. It causes things to happen, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and Tom, Tom, you mentioned uh, you know, keeping the Bible nearby. I don't know if anybody yeah. heard the, the Pope, Pope Francis's message about the Bible and the cell phone. Oh, yeah. Did you hear about that? Yeah, right? yeah. That, you know, that we yep. should, if we consulted our Bible for messages as regularly as we consult our cell phone and check our cell phone for messages, you know, yeah. how, how much better off would we be, right? <laughs> we wouldn't sleep, better, we wouldn't work. Right? It'd be a lot better communication yeah, with God. Yeah. <laughs> one, one of the things I noted about this, um, and it's been something that's been on my mind for a while, actually, and looking at the scriptures, and, and I got this, I think, from listening to Scott Hahn's material on some of the Lighthouse CDs that we have, is this is a, another example in our scriptures of where there's a historical event and there's profound symbolic significance in an event that actually happened. And one of the things that, that I've noticed, having studied you know, some other, most of the other major world religions, is that no other world religion has the the significance, the symbolic significance that grows out of historical events. You have historical events, and then you have the teachings. So even like in Islam, you have um, the history of Muhammad, and then you have the teachings, which are in the Quran, that don't really talk about history so much. And when they do, they're basically relating events, not necessarily bringing out significance. But here we have a situation, for example, that's historically related, and in the history is profound significance. And, uh, for example, um, you know, this is an experience where Peter, James, and John go to a mountain, see Jesus with um, um, uh, Moses and Elijah, so the law and the prophets, and they're brought together. And then when they, you know, there's this profound experience of listen to him. Look, you've got the law and the prophets here, and it's all summed up in my son. Just this is my son. I'm pleased with him. Listen to him. And then they fall down, prostrate, and get up. And there's so many overtones of the Old Testament that pick up on this that are themes that are part of our faith. They're part of what we are. But they're in there. They're in the historical event. And if you listen to the fourth cup or any of other of Scott Hahn's materials, you'll find out that that progression of the of the last supper 
the you know Jesus's suffering and death the next day, the the Old Testament um, Passover meal, how all that runs together. Again, all historical events that have profound religious and um, you know spiritual significance for us, but they're embedded in those things. It's not you don't get the story unless you know the history, words, and you won't get the significance, the symbolic significance of this historical relationship that we have with God. And there aren't any other faiths that really can claim that type of history throughout the whole progression of roughly 6,000 years of recorded history. Our faith is in reality. It's not, it's rooted in reality. It's not rooted in stories or fantasies or, you know, dictated prophecies or insights that people got sitting under a tree, you know, and that's not, I don't mean that in any derogatory sense, but these are things that grew out of the actual reality that happened. And this is a good example of it. Here's a historical story. A story that actually happened that then has this profound significance of a message for us from God, directly from God. What a coincidence. Yeah. 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 But I think that also goes to the point of, you know, that those of us who are Catholic saying that, you know, other faiths have truth. That's our that's one of our doctrines. But we have the fullness of truth because it brings it brings spirituality, the, our faith together with history, and God actually relates to us in history, in time and in space, as opposed to, you know, philosophically or, you know, at an intellectual level only, uh, where we get either, you know, the stories of the gods and goddesses, which we know are not historically based, or we have actual events that happen that don't really have a profound significance, other than that they lead up to some great teaching or something like that. But the two things are always separated in another face and not necessarily in ours. So, Earlier today, when we had a another Bible study, our discussion, it was um, baptized Christians from a couple different denominations. We were having a talk about how Christ, one of Christ's missions was to establish a church, not just to say, this is the way I live and this is what I say, do what I said, and good luck, guys, I'm taking off. But he actually established a church, which is something we find by reading the church fathers. Here he says, do not tell this vision to anyone until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. I wonder why. Because it mm. didn't make any sense until you had a church. Until you had some place to go, it wouldn't make any sense that they would tell them about this. All the, all the, the word apocalypse means the lifting of the veil. And mm. in the Old Testament, we see things happening. But in the New Testament, when the veil is lifted, all of a sudden, those things that we see in the Old Testament become sacraments yeah Gee exactly the Passover clarified. becomes the last supper becomes the sacrifice exactly. of Christ becomes the resurrection exactly yeah exactly. Noah's Noah's uh on the or the ark becomes the first baptism yeah the raising of Lazarus from the dead becomes confession and and all these things become clear once Christ was raised from the dead but if it had just been a man who had been killed for his faith it never could have happened yeah and that's why, in you know, years ago when the when the calendar was being set up, everything goes back from the exactly. date of Christ and forward from the date of Christ because that's the pinnacle of history. That's that what was what makes sense out of everything in history. Have you guys ever heard of of Wil William Wilberforce? Yeah, I have. Yeah. I just heard an amazing mm -hmm. story about yeah. William Wilberforce, and uh, he was not he didn't grow up Christian. Uh, raised by his great-grandparents, was sent 
to, I think, aunts and uncle, an aunt and uncle who were Christian, then the great, great grandparents realized that he was being infected by Christianity, so they took him back and, and disinfected him. Um, you know, he ended up a brilliant man, one of the youngest to uh, uh, be elected into the into the parliament there, and and at the 18th, 19th century when he was there, it was crazy. I mean, there was it was it was wild times in in the parliament. Um, he wanted to travel Europe. English. Yeah. Uh, he wanted to travel Europe, and someone suggested a traveling companion, which he, I forget the guy's name, but he picked him up, and they traveled around. And the fact that this guy was a Christian and very, you know, a very intelligent Christian at that, they were able to talk about Christianity and debate for hundreds of hours during this trip, and William Wilberforce came back a Christian. And then he was kind of MIA. They're like, where's William? You know, he's, and we know he's back. But where is he? He took weeks before he plugged back in because he realized now that he's Christian, he needs to live like Christ. He needs to live like him. And after his prayer and his reflection, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to change? His mission that God gave him was twofold. One was to, uh, to get rid of the slave trade, make it illegal, abolish the slave trade in Europe. And the other one was to reform manners in England. And not just like, you know, keeping your tea, your, your pinky out <laughs> yeah. from tea matters, meant morals. Yeah. So this guy, one man who had an encounter with Christ through another person's witness, became a Christian, knew he couldn't go back into life as it was and as he was, made a decision. And two weeks before he died, the, the slave trade was abolished. And then... The manners thing or the morals thing was, you know, just reforming these people's behavior. And there's, I mean, drunkenness and drinking and prostitution in, in, in that time was like, you know, 25% of women were prostitutes. The average age was 16. I mean, it was a crazy period of time. But look mm -hmm. at one man's encounter yeah. with Christ and a decision to change did, right? The so amazing to... part of that was he had been involved in slave trade. And that was why he helped to pen the hymn um, Amazing Grace. He helped to pen that because of his conviction yeah. of having been a sinner as a slave trader. Wow. And that was when he came back and changed the parliament. Amen. Amen. So it took him to abandon himself. Right. right? Mm -hmm. And in this, in this time of Lent, we're all called to abandonment. So, Tom, if you can just take mm -hmm. us out with a prayer of abandonment, sure. that would be great. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, I abandon myself into your hands. Do with me what you will. Whatever you may do, I thank you. I'm ready for all. I accept all. Let only your will be done in me and in all your creatures. I wish no more than this, O Lord. Into your hands I commend my soul. I offer it to you with all the love of my heart, for I love you, Lord, and so need to give myself to surrender myself into your hands, without reserve and with boundless confidence, for you are my Father. Amen. 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 God bless you all. And we'll talk to you next week. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Reflections from the Heart has been presented by Stewardship, a Mission of Faith. We hope that you've been blessed and encouraged as you listen to Reflections from the Heart. If so, you might consider participating in a Gospel Reflection Group. For information on locations and times of Gospel Reflection Groups, or how to start a Gospel Reflection Group in your area, please visit our website at stewardshipmission.org and click on Gospel Reflection Groups, or call us at 717-367-7000. 
Stewardship, a mission of faith, is a 501c3 nonprofit organization and depends on donations from people like you to make Reflections from the Heart possible. If you enjoyed this broadcast, please prayerfully consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting our website or calling us at 717-367-0100. On behalf of David and the staff here at Stewardship, a Mission of Faith, thank you for listening. And until next time, may God bless, protect, and guide you on your journey home to Him.